Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. So this podcast episode is a very special one because I am actually hosting a rebroadcast of an episode that I recorded with a friend of mine named JK, who is based out of the United States. He's on Instagram as JK Muscle Feed, JK underscore the Muscle Feed. Um, and he is a fitness coach that works mainly with women. We had a really interesting conversation on his podcast, Help Me Understand, in which he asked me some really insightful questions to and helps me connect the dots between some things in my own nutrition and, and the way that I work with clients that I really hadn't connected before. So if you want to know a little bit about kind of my background and how I got to where I am now, or understand a little bit more about my philosophy of coaching and just hear a really incredible conversation that I so enjoyed it recording with JK, please listen to this episode. I am so proud that I can offer you this on this podcast feed. So please go ahead and listen. And I'd love to hear what you think about this conversation. Personally, I listened to it and really, really loved it. So I'm going to shut up now and let you listen to an episode of the Help Me Understand podcast with my friend JK. And here we go. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Help Me Understand podcast. And I am here today with a long overdue conversation with Jillian Bennett, who is the owner of uh, Bite Size Nutrition and just a general all around really interesting human being to talk to. And you, I think, will very shortly agree with me on this one, just based on some interactions that we've had. She has such a a different perspective on health, fitness, nutrition, habit building, just all of the things. And on this podcast, we dig quite a bit into help me understand, you know, how you got where you are, the context and all those sorts of things. So instead of going on with a really super long intro, I'm just going to flip it right over to Jillian and first say um, thank you for being here. And how are things going in your part of the world? Because we're at, we're definitely in completely different parts of the world right now. We are. We are. And I have to say that probably the coolest compliment I could get is for someone to say that I'm a very interesting human being. I think that's oh. probably like I if you if I were to have a tombstone at any point at the end of my life, like <laughs> I would love to have that on there. I think that I strive to be a very interesting human being. So thank you very much. No problem. And if people are wondering, like, well, where are you across the world? Because you clearly sound very American. Um, I am from the United States. I live in Barcelona, Spain. And so, yeah, so I am seven hours ahead of JK right now. And I, yeah, I'm an, I'm a nutrition coach. I got into this. Mm, to be honest, my very first nutrition certification was a health coaching certification. I did it in 2010. So that that's, it's been a long journey and it's been a long drawn out journey of both lots of certifications, lots of self-experience, lots of reading and learning and asking questions. And like you say, trying to understand better, because I think that our, the way that we interact with food and our bodies is not just hey, I'm going to eat this and then this is how I'm going to feel and then this is the exercise I'm going to do. And yeah. I think we try to simplify it so much. And the thing is, is that food permeates like every area of our lives. 
and it's it permeates every relationship that we have. And so when that is something that you feel really uncomfortable with, or you don't feel confident with, or it feels like you're in a battle with food, it can permeate every part of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's kind of a big reason why I do what I do, because that was something that was kind of like how I lived for a very long time. Yeah. And man, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to try to go in a somewhat to bring in like a training term, linear progression here. And I'm also going to release the pressure to have to do it that way. Release so, the pressure, man. Just let it yeah, go. Let's roll. So, um, well, number one, you're welcome for the compliment. And I actually meant it. And um, one of the things that we were talking about before we hit record was how we got connected um, eventually, like voice to voice, I guess it would be. And I like to give people at least a little bit of background on um, some of that because, well, yeah, the context behind that is that I think sometimes social media gets a really bad rap and sometimes it's deserved. Um, in my experience, it's uh, social media has been mostly a really strong positive. And I think a lot of that has had to do with where I spend my time and what my intentions are more often than not. And you and I became linked more closely through um, a clubhouse group and just having some conversation and being able to listen in on a lot of the philosophies that you shared. um, And I believe at the time it was the health and fitness professionals club, um, which I think now is transitioned to a different name, if I remember correctly. But I, I honestly, be off. I don't put efforts into clubhouse. I've been trying to be very directed with my efforts yeah, and yeah. my time. And so I haven't been in there in a while. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring it up at least um, to throw a, well, I completely forgot the name, but to throw a plug that direction and remind people that social media doesn't have to be like an ugly and dark place. Um, like most things, if you are really, really intentional, uh, many times you could turn out to create some pretty solid connections with people. So with that being said, I wanted to get um, a bit of your backstory um, first, before going into coaching, really on what your um, what are some of the highlights in your journey when it comes to fitness and nutrition? Because I remember you bringing up just so many different aspects and so many cool things that you've done and places that you've worked and things like that. But what are what do you feel like are some of the highlights in the background that you'd like to share on what your journey, your individual journey before going into coaching uh, was like when it came to fitness and nutrition? Yeah. So, oh, this is an awesome question. And I think when I think about kind of like a turning point for me was just a little bit of background, like growing up, I was never the kid. I'm probably the only child in California that never played AYSO soccer. And if you're from California and you know, AYS, I don't know if if AYSO is a whole United States thing, but I never did like the typical team sports. I remember once, I think I tried out for the, the basketball team to full disclosure. I'm five foot one. And I remember trying out for the basketball team. And I, I don't even think they took me seriously. And so I grew up with this very strong belief of like, I'm not athletic. And I also, when I was younger, I got made fun of a lot for my weight and what my body looked like. And I had a couple of teeth that were missing. I was just, it was just all together, like not, not a great um, experience as far as like appearance was concerned. Um, And that coupled with the fact that my family was also kind of a little bit weird. My dad's British. Um, I was a little bit nerdy, was like really into reading, was the kind of person that finished Harry Potter books in literally like one day. Um, and so I never was 
a very sports oriented kid. I also used to hate vegetables so much that I pretended I was allergic to them. I would literally pretend that I could not eat a tomato. It's so funny because now like as I'm sitting here, I have half a carrot that I didn't have time to finish eating next to my computer. <laughs> nice. Keeping <laughs> it real. So it's cool. It's just a testament to how much people can change. And so I didn't actually eat vegetables or exercise until I was 20 years old. And so for me, when we look at the highlights, a big highlight for me was that turning point was really incredible for me because it was a realization of like one so, and I'm not going to lie to you is it, it, it had a lot to do with what my body looked like and how my body felt. Like I remember putting on jeans and being like, I can't button these. Like that doesn't feel good. And I remember being really insecure about what my body looked like for so, so, so many years. But the turning point for me was really, I remember, uh, one deciding to enroll in a boot camp workout class when I was in college, I think it was like my third year of college. And the, the class was in a gymnastics gym. And it was so much fun because it wasn't like going to the gym and like running on the treadmill or doing the elliptical, which was like super hot when I was in college. It was like, everybody's got to do their cardio. Yeah. And this was literally being in the gymnastics gym and playing. Right. And so that for me was so much fun because the focus wasn't on like, oh my God, how many calories am I burning? It was what skills am I learning? Like what, what things am I doing differently with my body? And that was just, that was like the rabbit hole, like Alice, Alice falling down the rabbit hole for me, because it was also like, even though I wasn't good at it, it was, it showed me that I could improve, which I think was really, really important for me. And then on the, on the food side, also understanding that like, I don't need to eat perfectly, but I can improve. And so for me, that looked like going from doing literally eating like Starbucks coffee cake every day for like two meals a day to being like, well, I'm going to try eating a salad. And that salad was like a chicken Caesar salad or a Chinese chicken salad, which if you know what's in those, like there's not a lot of actual vegetables. It's right. mostly like dressing and croutons, but it was more green stuff than I was eating before. And so for me, that became sort of like the domino effect of these tiny little changes these like little catalysts that led me to a point where I actually started working for, and I'm going to try to keep this short because otherwise I could go on forever. Okay. I started working for Lululemon and Lululemon is a, a company. If you're not familiar with Lululemon, they make really expensive yoga pants, but the company itself is very involved in self-development and, and their employees, they pay for all of their employees workout classes. And that's where I found CrossFit. I went to a CrossFit, um, I went to a free CrossFit class. Someone had talked to me about CrossFit in the store and I, and I started CrossFit there. Fast forward, another sort of like highlight was moving to Spain. And that was, I had been an exchange student in Spain years before, decided to move back and just kind of explore and see what happened and moving to Spain and realizing that like CrossFit was the best way for me to meet people. And so as an expat living outside of my country, like CrossFit is generally like very English speaking, no matter where you go, you're going to mm -hmm. probably find English speakers. Yeah. And, and so that was where I started to build a community. And so those I think are kind of two big turning points. And then I would say the third turning point for me was realizing I, I was, I had been competing in Olympic weightlifting. I had been coaching CrossFit for a long time and I had been very restrictive with my eating. And I realized that I hadn't had a period in three years. And so that was kind of like the next turning point of like, oh, okay. Like aesthetics are not, aesthetics and performance are not the only thing that are important. So I'd say kind of like three main highlights right there. Yeah. And 
there's man, there's so much there that I could unpack. So let me rewind just a little bit when uh, when you talked about that kind of turning point, which I think was around like twenty ish, where mm-hmm. you go into you know going into the boot camp class, uh, started to become I guess more physically active, and you had noticed that from what I pulled out of that the original, uh, maybe part of the original inspiration in going to do that was, hey, just kind of noticing the way that something's fitting, not totally down with that. So I want to go do something, get active. And one of the things that I pulled out of what you shared was this realization of um, not necessarily needing to be perfect at something. So you mentioned like that that just doing a little bit better, like instead of all coffee cake all day, every day, plus twice on Sunday, like, okay, let's mix in some versions of whatever salad I can get right now, whatever that may be. And then later on, kind of transitioning into more of kind of restrictive eating or whatever the case may be, where do you feel like that transition kind of started to happen where, you know, initially it was more from my perspective, what seemed like a little bit more flexible, like do Mm -hmm. better, but we're not trying to, okay, I've got to hit this to this nth degree and I can't go like one car, one gram of a carb over or no carbs or yeah. whatever it may be to then as you're going further along in your journey, um, then maybe it became more restrictive. Are you able to kind of go back and reflect on maybe where some of that transition began to happen? Totally. Totally. And so there's, there's a principle that is, that my brain needs, and I'm sure you're going to know this. It's the one where like you start to learn things and you think, you know, everything. And then you realize that as you learn more, you, you know, less, uh, what is that called? Dunning-Kruger effect. Dunning-Kruger. Exactly. Okay. Okay, So the Dunning-Kruger effect, (laughs) I think that that was, that was kind of the issue is that I got to the point I had done one health coaching certification and I was like, oh, I know about health and nutrition. And so that's where I started to go down the rabbit hole of like, oh, well, like maybe this isn't a great food or maybe I should go gluten free or maybe I should do this. And so I was learning, I was learning, but I wasn't learning context and I wasn't learning. And it, I was still very much like in this belief of like, oh, okay, my body is the most important thing because that also like we have to remember that a lot of the, the the information that we that we gather, we also hear it through our own lens. And my lens through my for my entire life had been, I'm not pretty. I need to be skinnier. I'm not one of the pretty girls. Um, my, you know, I'm chubby. My body isn't good enough. Right. Mm-hmm. That was sort of like the narrative that I had in my head. And so I had learned enough at one point. And this was, so before I left the States, I remember I did like a sugar detox and, and I did, it was like a 21 day sugar detox. And I was, and I think when I did it, it was actually with decent intentions of just being like, Hey, I'd really like to see how my body reacts to this, but it kind of sparked that. Oh, wait, my body will look a lot different if I do these restrictive things. And then that kind of went on the back burner for a little bit, but it popped back up when I started um, competing in Olympic weightlifting. And so as someone, I told you guys, I told you earlier that like, I was someone that never really exercised as a kid. I wasn't super physical. And and I started exercising later on, a little bit later on in in my life. And so when I was in CrossFit and and the Olympic weightlifting coach saw me and was like, do you wanna compete in Olympic weightlifting for me? That was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the club. Like, I'm so cool now, like I could actually do this. And one of the things is if you're, you know, if you're listening and you're not super familiar with Olympic weightlifting, it's a weight class sport. And so 
it's common for people to train at one weight and then cut weight to, to fit into a certain weight class. And so when it started to get really toxic for me was the coach, obviously this wasn't his fault. He like, he had no idea it was going to turn this way. He said, well, how much do you weigh? And I told him, and he was like, well, I'd like you to compete in this weight class, which was like maybe five or six kilos below what I weighed at that point. And so I, one of my best friends at the time was a bodybuilder who was very deep in her own really disordered patterns with eating. Very, very disordered. Um, Absolutely incredible person, but like bodybuilding, if you know a lot about it, it's not the most like mental health promoting, like sport when it comes to your body. Yeah. And it's so, not about a healthy lifestyle. It's a yeah, little- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. she introduced me to, that was sort of my first foray into macro counting and, and understanding like, oh, I can manipulate these things and be very, very precise with what I put in my body. And I thought when I first started and for a long time, I thought it was very, that I was being quote unquote balanced with it because you, you know, they call it like, if it fits your macros and flexible dieting. And I was like, look at me, I can eat a a Snickers bar on my flexible diet. And it was like, well, yeah, but you're also highly restricting other things within your day so that that Snickers bar can fit very clearly into your allotted calorie amount. And, And I saw that that had, you know, what I viewed to be like really incredible impact because yeah, I, I lost body fat. And I was also, and I was able to maintain a decent level of strength, but what I wasn't aware of was all of the other things that were like red flags, like coming home from a training session, being exhausted and just wanting to sit on the couch all the day, like going from someone that like loved to walk and like take the stairs to being like, oh God, there's stairs. Um, literally all of a sudden being like, oh, I don't have a period and not realizing that that was an actual problem. I was cold all the time. My hair started to thin. Like I have, you can't see me because you're listening to this, but I have lovely hair. I'm very proud of it. And it was not lovely at that point in time. And so it became something very dark, but I was so tied to this idea of being the girl with the abs that it was hard to get out of. So interesting to me. And thank you for sharing that. And uh, something I had to jot down that you mentioned, which I think um, I'm going to throw from my perspective is very important is that piece that you talked about with like learning, and I'm going to paraphrase it, like learning all the knowledge, but not necessarily the context behind the application of that particular knowledge. And that could, that in and of itself can be a completely separate very deep dive from, from an episode perspective, because Uh, what it reminds me of, especially is this age now where information is not at a shortage. Uh, The accessibility to information is definitely not as a shortage at a shortage. You can pretty much find anything you want if you work really hard to go try to find it. I'm not going to say it all comes your way, but you have to go. If you find it, if you try to find it, you can find just about anything. And I think what you just shared about the fact that you were like, you weren't a newbie at this, at this point, like you were deep into the work, you were learning a lot of different things. You were experiencing different things. You were exposed certainly based on like your travels and the different cultures that you were a part of, like you were exposed to a lot of different things and you had all of the knowledge, but the knowledge without the understanding of how to properly apply. And I'm going to, put in a a shameless, just overall plug for this is why I think working with coaches is really helpful because um, there are some things that 
should be DIY and some things that should not always be DIY. Like at least for a period of time, it's helpful to get some some one-on-one like work with somebody so they can try to help you figure out how to properly apply these things. So I, I just really love that. I'm going to, I'm going to jot that down and and I'll try to give you as much credit as I can when I, when I um, start using that really that learning, but not learning, learning the knowledge, but not learning the context. So thank you for sharing that. That was really helpful. Um, So let's, let's kind of transition here now where you've had your own individual journey and then where does that turning point happen where this becomes a, a business for you, where you're starting to work with you know, people, groups? I don't know if I know a lot of that story um, as far as where that transition happened. And you've definitely got to give us some context behind the bite-sized nutrition uh, yeah. tag because I, I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. And, and so the, the, I guess the trajectory of working with clients kind of starts with the bite size thing. And so when I was learning more about cooking and food and being really interested in feeding myself, which was sort of like the beginning of my journey where I wasn't thinking about like, how do I change my body? It was more of like, Ooh, like food is, is in cooking is this new thing that I've never really experienced before. And there's all these colors of foods that I've never tried. And so I actually had a recipe blog, which was like, oh my God, the pictures were so bad. (laughs) They were so bad. I'm going to go back and try to find this. I would like, I would, I, I wonder if I could still find it, but it was called bite Size pieces was the blog. And it was like me posting videos or not videos, but photos of my like green smoothie in like a giant glass and being like, here's my green smoothie recipe. And, and I was following all of these different fitness and food blogs. And that for me was so cool because that was how I learned to cook. That was how I learned to feed myself was literally by consuming information and being like, Ooh, this recipe has like 20 ingredients. Like I don't want to use 20 ingredients because I'm lazy. So I'm going to like, see if I can cut that down to like eight, you know what I mean? And so I had this, like this blog that maybe I think my dad and like four other people read it. And so it was called bite Size pieces. And so I had the email address bite Size pieces at gmail.com or bite Size piece at gmail.com. And when I decided to start taking on coaching clients, I had done two other coaching certifications and I had, I had then been working as a CrossFit coach for a couple of years And the reason why I started taking on nutrition clients is because I would see people in the gym as I was coaching them and they would, you know, you go into the gym and you have someone coach you for an hour and you're like, this is great. I don't really need to put a lot of thought into it. But the other 23 hours a day, you're like, what do I eat? How do I do this? Like, what am I doing with my life? How do I organize this stuff? And in Spain, it's very, very common even still. And I started my coaching, I started coaching six years ago, coaching nutrition six years ago. And even now it's still very common for people to go and be like, give me a meal plan. They'll go to a nutritionist here in Spain and be like, just give me a meal plan. Tell me what to eat. And I won't do that. Like, and if someone asks me that, I'm like, I'm sorry, that that's not one legally in Spain. I can't give meal plans, but also I don't want to, because I don't think that that's useful. What I coach my clients on is how they could potentially plan out their own meals in a way that fits in for their schedule and for their lifestyle and for their preferences. So I saw all these people that would go in and work out for one hour a day, but they weren't seeing any of the results that they wanted because all the 20, uh, you know, 23 other hours of the day, they were like, well, I don't really know how to to eat or how to cook or how to grocery shop even. And, and I also saw how much that affected people emotionally where like, it's a big stressor. 
a really big stressor. And so the, my, my business name came out because I was like, well, I'm going to start taking on clients. Like, what do I call my business? And I was like, well, I already have this email address. And I was like, bite-sized pieces. It's like, that makes so much sense. And so, and then I dropped the pieces because it's just, especially in Spain, people would be like, eh, and I was like, I'm just going to not make this as difficult as I need. Like, I'm going to make it easier. So I was like, I dropped the pieces and it's just bite-sized nutrition. And I think it fits really well. Also, I'm a bite-sized person. I'm not very big. (laughs) Yeah. Did we mention that you're, is the right term bilingual, multilingual? What's the right? Um, I would love to be multilingual. Currently, I'm only bilingual. Bilingual. Okay. Yeah. Because you. Once I learn another language, I think I'll be multilingual or trilingual. Yeah. Then, Yeah. Does it become trilingual or multilingual? I don't know. There's somebody out there who's listening to this right now who's like, get it right. Yeah, I am who I am. There's certain things I just don't, <laughs> don't know. What can I say? All right. So, uh, so the transition into the nutrition coaching, and I have to wholeheartedly just agree with you um, with having that same perspective as someone who was doing uh, what I did in person. Um, I started with... Uh, semi-private and then large groups. And it was amazing to see the commitment, the consistency of people coming in, you know, day after day or four to five days a week, three to five days a week, whatever it may be. And I coached, I was the early morning coach. So it was like the 5 a.m. class and you just see that commitment to the dedication. And then as you get to know your members and you have those conversations and they kind of pull you aside after class and say, hey, I, I feel like I've been really consistent, but I just, I don't know why I'm, you know, I feel like I've made some progress, but I just feel like there's things I'm leaving on the table and there's just so much that you, you don't really have the space to dig into in that class session or, you know, that couple minutes, cause you're moving on to the very next class or the very next client. So, um, you just brought back some really good memories for me. You know, what's interesting is as you said this, I'm also thinking back to like when I first started coaching kind of the, the people that I was coaching and I had this amazing group of like three women in their late forties that would come to my CrossFit class. And I used to teach a strength class for a while and I would see how they weren't fueling themselves to be able to progress strength wise. And so for me, we'd have these conversations about nutrition and especially for females. And I, so I work with both males and females, but definitely majority females, especially now. And it's this fear around like, well, I need to be eating less in order to reach my goals. But the the constant pursuit of eating less is actually holding back from so many goals. Yes. That's a, uh, that's a whole sermon right there. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what comes to mind for me is also getting an understanding for what is, what is your priority when it comes to your goals right now? Just had, just had some conversation with, with someone about this a couple of days ago where it was like, man, I'm, I'm training for this particular thing. And then also I'd really like to, you know, kind of cut, go through a cut for a while. I'm like you, which one is the priority? Like, well, can I have it all? Could you eventually, maybe you can have it all, but at some point something has to be a priority. So you know, going into this deep dive deficit. And then you're telling me you want to smash this next event and finish within the top 5%. Like we, one of these things has got to give or else your body will just give. So again, separate topic that I'll jot down for later. Um, But let's talk, uh, let's talk about your approach because this is one of the first things that uh, I personally connected with 
when I started listening to and listening to a lot of the things that you talked about, uh, a lot of the lives that you host, by the way, she hosts some fantastic IG lives. I'm not only saying that because I've gotten the opportunity to jump in on a couple, uh, but really thought provoking questions and topics and a lot of stuff that I just nod my head to like, huh, that makes a lot of sense or that's a great question. And one of the things I've heard you talk about very, very often is the fact that you have what I'm going to call like a value centered approach and something that you spend a lot of time, um, at least initially, I get get an idea of focusing on that with your clients. So we've talked about that transition into trying to basically kind of fulfill a need that you saw that was there in the nutrition space. So can you share a bit around the context with where this values, I'm going to call it a values-based approach. Feel free to correct me on that. No, I love Um, that. Okay. To nutrition coaching, um, where does that come from? How does that go? Like just help me, help me understand some of that because it's not, that is not the norm. Yeah. And yeah, it's, and and it's actually something that, so I host a pod, I host two podcasts, actually. One of the podcasts I host is with two other female coaches who are absolutely incredible. Um, and you can find us on, on Instagram if you want, it's called be well cartel. And, and so the three of us have been talking for years now. And we all three actually kind of connected through social media, but like a long, long time ago, sort of before the pandemic. And one of the things that we'd been talking about is kind of how people live their lives. And the, and when it comes to nutrition coaching, I think this is something that I, I definitely at the very beginning of my coaching did not see things this way, did not see the bigger picture. And I think part of that just has to do with being a new coach and not having a lot of context, right? My context would maybe come from work, you know, doing a couple of, of certification courses and working with a few clients, but the more people that I got to be curious about, and I got to try to understand, well, what is affecting them and why we start to see this incongruence often between what our goals are and what our values actually are. And so the reason why it, 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 the value-based approach is so important. And this is something that both, both of my co-hosts on the Be Well Cartel, they work with their clients in this way a lot as well. And it's an important part of their coaching, coaching process as well is because when you are able to live in alignment with what your core values are, you are living in a way that is, is congruent with both kind of your wants and your needs, right? And so people think of this as like, oh my gosh, core values, like that, that's such a big concept. And really, like, I'll give you an example. So I actually have, I have a post-it right behind my computer that has my core values on it. My four main core values are connection, curiosity, creativity, and freedom. And so what that means for me is that when I am living in a way that I feel connected, I'm able to exercise curiosity. I am able to be creative and I feel like I have freedom. I am like in more of a flow state in my life. And so that, how that applies to nutrition, because you might be like, well, that sounds amazing, but how does that actually apply to how I eat? Is that that gives me information to know that if I were to put myself on like a strict diet or a meal plan, I'm not going to feel like I have freedom or creativity. Or if I try to eat, you know, I make one giant recipe and then I try to eat that every day for five days, 
that's not for me, that's not creative. And so I'm not going to enjoy it as much. And so I think that when, and, and here's another, here's an example I use all the time is connection. A lot of us, our core values have to do with connection over the last couple of years. Connection has been harder. It's had to become a lot more intentional than it, when it used to be very casual connection used to be like, Oh, in the street, you run into someone, you know, you give them a hug, you connect with them now with masks on our faces, or, you know, for a long time, we were in and out of lockdowns. Like it wasn't as casual. And so a lot of us have been lacking connection, which leads us to look for connection in other areas of our lives. Right. And so here's an, here's a really easy example for connection. If you, for example, decide to go on the keto diet, you're like, I really want to lose weight. That's one of my goals. And in order to do that, I got to go on the keto diet, but in, in going on the keto diet, that takes away from your Friday evening uh, ice cream Sundays with your family, or it takes away from like pizza night with, you know, with your best friends, then that is actually causing your connection to suffer. And some people may argue, well, yeah, you can connect with those people without those things. But I would argue that, that it is important to be able to have the flexibility to do those things in your life. Yeah. And this is why very strict diets often just don't last. And this is also why like all diets work. Like, I'm not going to argue with that. All of them work. Like if you can, if you can stick to them, they all work, but wouldn't it be more amazing if you could find a way of eating that actually fits in with the type of person you want to be, because if it fits in with the type of person you want to be, it's probably going to last a lot longer. That's so, so profound <laughs> on that. And I think it's hard uh, to do eh? It's It's hard to do. Right. You know what? That that's a really good. I think that that's a really good comment to throw in there because from my perspective, you just, you explained that extremely well. And also I can see how someone could go, oh, okay. So that's all I have to do. Figuring out, like I've gone through, I don't even know how many iterations of, you know, sitting down and trying to think through like, what do I really value? And that, that is, that's deep work. uh, I would call it. And it can be uncomfortable. Yeah, that's actually, that's, that was the follow-up question that I wanted to, to ask you. So, um, you know, I, I love the values-based approach because I'm big on having something that you can have as a foundation that you will always be able to, um, go back to, or, um, even utilize it as the filter. So, you know, you, you work with like this values-based approach, um, to build healthy habits. Um, I start with what's called like neurotyping. So we get an idea for what is your personality type and what really, you know, what drives you, what drains you, what keeps you engaged and utilize that not as like a box to put you in, but something to kind of jump off of. So let's kind of, I use it as kind of a filter. And I think about values the same way because, I think that you face those moments and this is the difficult work. Once you've gotten past the point of figuring out what your values are, you face those moments where it's like, okay, you know, you you do have to make a decision on either what to eat or what not to eat or what activity to participate in and what not to participate in. And at the end of the day, you can, like you said, like all diets work, you can sacrifice and you can, you know, quote unquote, white knuckle your way through it till the end of the day, if you really want to. And then what are you left with? Like you've got that quote unquote target weight that you hit and then you're spending the rest of like the rest of the month now trying to repair all the relationships that you broke while you were trying to hit that particular decimal point. So I think that having some sort of a filter to run things through can be super helpful. So how, 
I guess back to the follow-up question that I wanted to ask is that is, in my opinion, very difficult work. And it's not something that routinely you can just snap your fingers or take a quick assessment or whatever it may be to really get to that understanding of what really matters. I guess um, what I want to ask is what is what is a question doesn't have to be the question, but what is a question that someone could ask themselves to start that process um, in understanding like what really matters to them from a values perspective? Like values work is really difficult. Yeah. Any particular kind of area that you start in or um, questions that you try to ask in order to to try to help someone really get a, an idea of what they value truly? Yeah. So I actually have an exercise that all of my clients, the, they're, like through their onboarding process, sort of the last step in the onboarding process before we have our first session together is a values exercise that goes through and gives them like a list of values. It asks them specific questions. And, and it's kind of, it's iterated off of many things that I've learned and experienced and, and values exercises that I've done. Some of it is inspired by the work of John Berardi, who was the founder of Precision Nutrition. And he has some incredible questions. And then some of them were things, I mean, I'm constantly listening and learning and, and trying to gain more understanding. And so I've iterated this over, over the time that I've been using it to actually fit more of what I think is helpful for my clients. One question that I think is really impactful um, is understanding what do I want to do more of and what do I want to do less of in my life? Like that can be really helpful for understanding because sometimes we think of like, well, I want to you know, spend more time with my family, but we immediately go to what's holding you back from that. And so this question is, is like taking away constraints is like, what would you ideally like to do more of? And what would you ideally like to do less of? And that can be really helpful to understand of like, well, what direction is important to you and what direction isn't important to you. And, and then with that understanding that like your values can change, like, you know, for example, you can, when, maybe when you're younger, family wasn't as important, but you realize like after a certain point in your life, you're like, family is a really important value for me. And so values can change and they can be flexible. I think what it is, is, and there's this actually, they talk about values a lot in uh, the acceptance and commitment therapy model of psychology. And there is, and, and what you said about filter, like using your values as a filter, I think is really, really helpful. And so literally one of the easiest ways that you can figure out your values, if, if you want to, to, to do this is Google like list of values and read through the list of values, go through, do like a pass through and write down the ones that are most important to you. Once you have a pass through of the ones that are the most important to you, maybe you'll have like 10 of them. Start looking at like, some of them are going to be connected. Like some of them maybe you know, you might have integrity and honesty. Well, those are really similar. So you can sort of narrow them down into one. You may have, um, you know, uh, curiosity and learning. Those are also fairly similar. You can, and so you can start to pare them down until you get down. Some people say two values. Some people say five, up to five. I would say probably no more than five, just to simplify, like just to simplify because anything yeah. more than four or five is hard to remember. <laughs> right. And, 
And then in acceptance and commitment therapy, they talk about the choice point model. So any choices we make, there is a point of decision, right? There's a point in which you're like, I could go this direction. I could go that direction. And so starting to, I also talk about mindfulness and and like mindful Mm -hmm. eating, especially in, in what I do, but part of mindfulness is really just presence. And so being present to the decisions that you're making can be really helpful in starting to utilize your values as a filter. So for example, you have a moment where you're like, well, I can either go out to eat with my friends tonight, or I can, you know, stay in and, um, and eat my like chicken and and broccoli or whatever. That's a choice point. And you can use your values as a filter. And so you may say like, Hey, I really haven't seen my friends for a while. And I really need that connection. I'm going to make the choice to go see my friends. Or you may say like, Hey, you know what? I could really use a night in. I've been all over the place. Um, I've maybe been eating out a lot. And one of my goals right now is, is to lose some body fat. I'm going to stay in. And this is where you get to start making those decisions rather than going through like on autopilot. Yeah. Yeah. And I find, I just find this whole thing so fascinating. So let me ask your your point of view on this, because it's something that you touched on right near the end of what you were just talking about is um, facing that choice and running it through, you know, what I call the filters where it comes to your values. There are, I, I feel like there are certain points in time where you do sacrifice a bit of what your, I'm not going to say sacrifice your values. I guess I don't know the best way to put that, but let me just make give a, you this you make scenario. A choice. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. So there's something. There's a goal that you are laser focused on. You're going hard and heavy after that particular goal, and you're making a choice to um, take something that maybe most times is a high priority for you, and you're going to say, you know what, I'm. That is not something that I'm going to get into right now or connection right now may have to take a back seat. Like this is where, uh, where I'm curious how you, how you work through things like that. Like I, I think about, uh, when I've got somebody who really has a very specific targeted goal, um, it's an aggressive goal. It's albeit for a short period of time, but it's a very aggressive goal. We've been working at a pretty good maintenance level for quite a while. And then they've hit the point where, listen, yeah, we're going to make this, this is going to be a difficult one. And it's, it could have a heavy suck factor over the next like four to six weeks, whatever it may be. Um, And then we kind of transition back to a maintenance period. And I'm not specifically talking nutrition. I'm talking just in general um, with health, fitness, nutrition, just there, there are certain points where sometimes you are going to have to like bear down and really get after it. Uh, how any advice or point of view that you would have in how folks work through timeframes like that, where say, you know, you mentioned connection because I think, and I, I like that one a lot because I think that that point you brought up about how different that has been over the past couple of years for most people on planet earth, uh, I think is a really solid one. So if that's something that you value and do, you know, how do you work through, Hey, listen, this is something that is most likely going to take a hit for a certain period of time. Like, how do you work through that? Um, I realize that's a general question. Yeah, no, I think it is a really good question though. And I think the word that we were both looking for is trade-offs. 
There we go. Thank you. Yeah. I think yeah. the word we're both looking for is trade-offs. And I think understanding the concept of seasons of life, which I think you and I have talked about seasons yes. of life before yep. is really yep. important. And understanding that like, there are some times where certain things are going to take priority over others. And I think the, the problem is, is that there's often a lot of like guilt and shame behind that. And so I talk with my clients a lot about guilt and shame. And I think one of the things that is so important and so cool is that when you start to realize that you have full responsibility over your decisions, then you start to feel a lot more empowered over the decisions that you're making. Because often it's not the decision in itself that's the problem. It's how you feel about it. And so it's like, the it, for example, and I'll use a, a simple example of, um, you know, you go out to eat with your friends and you, right now you have the goal of fat loss. And so you actually make the decision to say, hey, I'm going to order the chicken salad and ask for the dressing on the side, but all of your friends are ordering like burgers and fries. And that's what you would really want, but you've, you've realized that you're making this trade-off because you've made the choice to focus on fat loss right now. And right. so I think that like, depending on how you look at it, you could be like, oh God, this sucks. Like, I really wish that I could do this other thing. Like, I really wish I could just eat burgers and fries with my friends. And I, this really sucks. And maybe then because of that guilt or because of that shame or, or frustration, you end up ordering the burger and fries, eating it, not enjoying it and feeling guilty afterwards because you didn't do something that's aligned with your value, with your goals. Did I, did that make sense? Are you following me up until there? Okay, cool. So Definitely. there's, there's guilt and shame behind that decision because you ended up eating the burger and fries, which is the thing that maybe you wanted to do, but the decision-making behind it carried guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you're thinking about this as like, Hey, I have chosen to enter into a fat loss phase or to focus on, you know, improving certain blood markers or whatever that is. I have made this choice. I'm not compelled to do it. I've made the choice. Then I also am empowered to make the choice as to whether I order the burger and fries or whether I order the salad. Understanding that neither is morally or inherently better. It has to do with the choice that you are making in relation to what you've decided to focus on right there. And I think that the the illusion of not having a choice is something that in nutrition, health, and fitness ruins us. It ruins us because we uh -huh. get this feeling of, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I can't be doing this. I can't be doing the other. And that in itself is what brings us to the ground. Whereas when we actually realize that we always have a choice, like even if you are on a diet and you're like, I want to lose, you know, 10 pounds, you always have the choice to be like, actually, I don't want to do that anymore. And that's really important. I see. I had just, I mean, full disclosure, I had just sent this message. It was like, I just have one more question and then we'll start to wrap so we could stay in the time frame. And then you just- and Now you're like, damn it. Why but, did I do yeah, that? Yeah, <laughs> but I'm going to stay focused. I got like 15 minutes. I can hang out for no, another we're 15 good. We're good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay focused here. Uh, I appreciate your breakdown of that. And also uh, something that I'm pulling out of that with that reminder that, you do have choices and it re it definitely reminds me of something that you brought up earlier with what I feel like is the frustration that, that sometimes people will have with uh, working with coaches and they're like, well, just tell me what to do. And it's like, well, I, I could do that, but that's not coaching that's directing. And there are definitely times where directing like, Hey, go do this, go do that. They have their time and place. Uh, but if we're working on really building sustainable habits and really empowering individuals, I don't know always that the 
just tell you what to do approach puts you in the position to do that. And I think that's, again, from, from my very biased perspective, that is why you will typically see people going back to what they say, air quote, worked for them in the past because it was something very strict, very rigid. They're like, well, I need that sort of structure. Yeah, but what if you were a part of creating that particular structure and it was a framework that was built around, as you've spoken, the things that you value and then that's something that you can, you know, tweak as you go through different seasons of life, or even if you want to break down the seasons of the year, whatever it might be, you just are able to have some sort of a structure and then you get to make those particular decisions. And now you just have more informed decisions that you're making. Um, and that, that leads me to my last question for you. So, um, and I don't even know if this is a question, this is probably more like feedback and then I'm going to ask you to expand on it. Um, one of the, the things that I really find helpful about your approach with a lot of the content that you put out. So um, whether it be through Instagram or whether it was back at Clubhouse and also with both podcasts that you have, actually, um, I notice there more often than not is a focus on actionable steps. It's like actionable tips or actionable items. And I know most recently with your solo podcast, the English version of your solo podcast, because um, I'm, I'm not at a point to listen to the one in Spanish and actually understand what's happening. So I'm working on that. Uh, but I like the fact that you always will give some, okay, so here's one, two, three actionable tips for you, like where you can start today. Can First, has that always been something from a coaching standpoint that you've utilized as far as like some some actionable steps walking out of a conversation or a session? And um, also, you know, where did where did that become such a consistent thing for you? Because I, I feel I really feel like there's a difference between actionable steps and now go do this, like now go out and do this thing. There's, there's a fine line between the two, and I just feel like you have a great way of communicating it. Can you kind of, I guess, riff on that for a little bit and just let me know yeah. about that? I love how you put that because I never, I guess it was something that sort of like developed naturally because for me, one of the things that I am always looking to do because so much of coaching is communication. And mm -hmm. so one of the things that I, I realized at a point, I don't remember when this was, a couple of years ago probably, where I was like, I feel like I'm giving my clients the information that they, that they need, but they're not doing the things. Right. And I feel like this probably happens in coaching a lot, especially with newer coaches. Well, they'll be like, well, I'm telling them exactly what they need to do, or I'm giving them all the information. But I think that again, we go back to that context, right. That it's like, well, an action, like an, something that's actionable is like, you can actually take action on this because it doesn't require like a huge level of knowledge or understanding. And so I like to do that because I want people if I could do, if you could describe what I would like to do with my life, it's essentially just empower people to make more, to make better decisions for themselves. And better obviously is, is very relative because a better decision for one person, it may be a worse decision for another person. But if I can empower people to do that, and I, if I can do that through those actionable tips and actually propel them forward, because I would say the majority of the people that I work with are perfectionists that get stuck in their own heads. They're very all or nothing. And they, and, and so one of the things, for example, when I have a coaching session with someone is I always ask them like, what went well this week? Like, what do we, what do we, what went well? And 
so many, so many times I have clients that are like, oh no, this week, this week was hard. And we always manage to find, even when in the first couple of minutes of a session, a few really bright spots of learning and of progress that they're like, oh my gosh, I never saw it that way. And so for me, I think, I think without really even thinking about it, the actionable tips came on as like, what can you actually take away from this conversation that you can put in practice? Rather than yeah. like, for example, explaining to someone like, this is how insulin works. You're like, cool, now I have that information, but like, what does that mean in the context of my body? And I think that now it's become very, um, very trendy to like offer a lot of high level information of like, you know, cortisol is this hormone in your body. And it's like, okay, cool. So now I know the name of this hormone, but I don't exactly have any idea as to why knowing this name of this hormone actually changes anything about my life. And so with it's my hope, and I guess I'm glad that that's what you got out of it. And hopefully other people that listen to my podcast and my content get out of it is like, okay, I'm going to offer you some information and then here's what you can do with that information. And that action is not going to be perfect. It's not going to be incredible. It's going to be hard. Some days it's going to, some days you're going to mess it up, but that is the process of learning how to do things for yourself. And I, I, I say this all the time is like, think about anything that you're good at now, anything that you're good at now, anything that feels effortless that you don't even need to like, think about at, at some point, whatever that was, was not effortless. And you had to put a lot of thought into it. And you probably needed to learn new skills. You needed to find new resources or you needed new information. But at some point that thing transitioned from being like, oh crap, I'm still really learning to like, oh my gosh, this is just how I do things. And that my friends is the power of habit change. <laughs> oh man. So good. Yeah. And I, uh, you broke that down so well. And I know I, I start everything off like, oh, that's interesting. And this is exactly why I wanted to have this conversation because we've, we've spent a pretty good amount of time over the past, what has it been like a year now? Or like so? a year. Just, yeah. Yeah. Of, you know, little conversations and snippets here and there. And I knew that this was a conversation I wanted to have to peel back, I call, always call it peeling back more of the layers to get an understanding of a deeper understanding of kind of where that perspective comes from and what some of your past experience has been that has now formulated that. And it, it makes so much sense to me now um, where, how, how this approach is something that you're so passionate about and why to me it makes so much sense. Because again, going back to where you felt like your turning point or one of the turning points was around, hey, I'm building up more and more and more knowledge, but I don't know necessarily that I'm building up the right context and understanding how to apply it. And I, from an outsider's perspective as another coach, I clearly see the link in now how you really buy it or try to make sure that your your clients feel empowered and that they have a, a voice and a choice in what the next step is going to be. Because I, I see this link of you had all this knowledge and yet you felt like there was a gap in how to apply it. And now I see you through your clients filling in that particular gap, especially when you mentioned that you want to empower people to make better decisions for themselves. So it's not just give you knowledge. I want you to, okay, now what do you do with it? I have a sales background. So we talk a lot about features versus benefits. So mm -hmm. a features of a product is like all the specs, like it's this thing, it goes this fast. It's a, okay. That's cool. 
I thank you for telling me 20 different things about this particular product, but how does that benefit me? Like telling me that a car goes from zero to a hundred in X number of seconds. That's fantastic. Did you know that I only drive to the grocery store once a week and the speed limit is 55. So why does that matter to me? You know what I mean? So it's, it's like that features versus benefits. I think of that same thing with knowledge versus application. So um, last thing I said, last question, but last thing that you didn't mention, but I've totally heard you mention this before, and it has nothing to do with health, fitness, and nutrition. Didn't you do stand up comedy for a while? No, oh, I did improv. Improv. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, I did. In case did. nobody's kind of picked up on, like, Chilean's got a hella, like, funny side. So I remember you saying oh, something yeah. about that. So what, what's the story there? So this is actually really interesting and it has to do with my values, which is oh, okay. interesting, I, I guess. I guess it's funny because I, the questions that you ask are just, it sort of leads me to create connections between things in my own head that I'm like, well, I knew that existed, but now I'm like, oh, <laughs> that makes so much sense. So thank you. Cause you're helping me understand. Sure. And so I, in, in 2012, I don't know why, how I remember the year, but in 2012, I was at the end of the year, I was like, I am not going to make a new year's resolution. Cause that is stupid. And I never stick to it. I was like, but I'm going to do new year's goals. And I had noticed that I felt kind of stagnant. And it was like, I, I one of the things I read fiction, like out of control. I am a sci-fi fantasy, total nerd. I devour books. It's, pretty it's I mean I've, I'm very proud of it but it's sad because I'm always like oh I finished this book I need a new one um but one of the things that I noticed is I kind of stagnated in my curiosity I was working in a sales job I was um you know doing the typical like go to work go like make dinner go home watch Netflix whatever and and I was like my creativity is gone and I am a, I'm a hyper creative person that's almost like to adapt it's almost my downfall how, how creative I am. And it's something that makes me feel so alive. And so one of, at the end of this year, I was like, I'm not, I'm going to set a goal. I'm going to set goals for myself instead of new year's resolutions. One of my goals was to, to start to, um, rekindle my creativity. And I was like, I'm going to sign up for an improv class. And so I signed up for an improv class and I went to the improv class and I did uh, an improv show at the end of the class. And then I got it in my head that I was like, I was going to be a stand-up comedian. And, and I'm much funnier in my own head, I think, than I am perhaps in real life. But it is one of those things that weirdly enough, I'm, I'm introverted, but I absolutely adore. You can probably tell hearing me speak is I love public speaking. I love public speaking. I love communicating with groups. I love like doing videos and stuff doesn't doesn't make me feel weird at all. But if I were to, you know, go to dinner with like you and your wife and a few of your friends, I would probably sit there and be like, Oh my God, this is the most uncomfortable oh, thing ever. Funny. Okay. So yeah, that's kind of my stand-up comedy improv and how it ties into my values. Cause creativity, even though I wasn't fully like connected with, Oh, this is my value. Mm -hmm. It clearly was something that is, was very important to me even many years ago. So interesting. I've actually got a, uh, I've got a longtime friend of mine who did do stand-up comedy in Chicago, like for quite a while, just as like a, a side thing. So I, I always find that super, super interesting. It's and I know hard. every now and then you'll drop some dad jokes. So yeah, <laughs> I love them. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like doing, I feel like that's something that would be really, yeah. I feel like that would be really hard to do 
in a structured, like on demand sort of way. Like, I feel like I've got, got a pretty decent sense of humor, I guess. I guess it depends on the room. Um, but mine's more like just a heavy dripping of sarcasm versus. No, I think that's why I think you're so rad. It's got its place. I'm very self-aware that it's got its, it's got its place. I'm not going to say I always act on that self-awareness, but yeah. Yeah. A lot of times people are like, you know, that really wasn't the time to be sarcastic. Like, well, is there ever a time? In your head, you're like, but it was so funny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I know you're laughing. Your timing's just off. It's fine. We'll get there. (laughs) So, all right. So um, thank you so much uh, for sitting down to have this conversation. I really appreciate it. And before we wrap here, I do want to make sure that I give you an opportunity to let the folks know all of the different places that we can um, connect with you and plug into your content, um, assuming that I guess the recipe blog isn't there anymore. So no, what, no, where else can we go? It. it was like it, the photos are embarrassing, embarrassing. You know what? I'm going to actually see if I can look for it this week. I'm like, you can't just put something out there like that and not. Yeah, don't look for the recipe blog. Yeah. Um, I. No, but you can find me on Instagram at bite size nutri. So it's like bite size and then nutri. So like nutrition without the T I O N at the end. Um, I'm also on, I'm, I have bite size nutri on YouTube, but I don't post a ton of videos on there. I'm mainly active on Instagram and then I have two podcasts. So the be well, or it's the be well cartel. You can find us be well cartel at on Instagram and then the bite size nutrition podcast, which is me riffing with me. And it's where I offer, I make sure to offer actionable tips. I do sort of full length episode or like 20 minute, 20 to 30 minute episodes. And then I also do little mini episodes on just like things that come to my head that hopefully make the, the idea is to help people think a little bit further and ask those questions when it comes to nutrition and health and, and well-being. And hopefully it inspires people to think a little bit more. Yeah. And I will, I will end this with saying, I, I definitely want to recommend that anybody who's listening to this, uh, check out both podcasts that, that Jillian's a part of, um, her solo podcast is really solid, especially if you are into getting an understanding of what it's, what it could be like, um, to work with someone like her when it comes to building habits, um, and really understanding how important getting an understanding of who you are is in formulating your plan. And then also selfishly with the be well cartel, um, I listen to that podcast pretty regularly because I'm, a you know, kind of a fitness nerd. So I think it's super helpful to listen to three really, um, really knowledgeable people. And again, back to your point, not just knowledgeable in the science of health, fitness and nutrition, but also the application and what's helpful for me as a coach, especially as a male coach who primarily works with females in specifically the fitness space. Like that's my lane and that's the lane that I stay in um, is really listening to your experience. Um, Some of the most helpful episodes for sure have been you all talking about your experiences uh, because you bring such a wealth of different perspectives. So I really appreciate what you guys have offered. So if you can pass that on to your, your co-hosts, Olivia and and, uh, Victoria, I believe. So Holly, Holly, I'm sorry. Um, 
so nice, nice work on all fronts. So please continue to do that because it's definitely something that's helpful. Thank you um, so definitely much. Definitely appreciate it. Yeah. So with that, we are going to go ahead and um, end this episode. So thank you again to everyone who has decided to tune in. And if you stuck around long enough, I sincerely appreciate you. And we'll catch you on the next episode.